0: Hello and welcome to the Vicar's Watch Dibley,
1: the podcast where real priests talk about pop culture and what we've learned about faith, life and the church. We've watched Dibley and now we're watching everything else. I'm Kate.
2: I'm Ross. And I'm Ruthie. And today we're back in Dibley because Ross didn't get a chance to talk about Dibley with us. So we're hearing from him and thinking specifically about preaching and Geraldine's preaching and how it might have influenced us.
1: and you're listening in and we are ready and raring to talk about the Vicar of Dibley specifically the Songs of Praise episode and what it's taught us about preaching but first we've got a few notices to share with you I'm going to start because I'm really excited about this it is October or at least that's when this episode is being released and for me the whole of October is just dominated by Harvest I don't know if that's the same Mm. for you two is
0: it? Yeah, we've got Messy Mass Harvest Service mm. in October too, yeah.
1: yeah. as September. Mm. Good. <laughs> for me, pretty <laughs> much every Sunday in October is a harvest service of some sort. Um, all five of my churches and the two primary schools have harvest celebrations. It's amazing and a brilliant community time. And it's a really special part of the church year for me, especially because it's a rural community that I live in. And it reminds me of the plenty and abundance of God's kingdom, um, just especially as the days are shortening and it's getting darker and the weather's getting colder. It's a really nice warm time for me. Maybe, you know, people talk about hot girl summer, but I feel like I'm an autumn gremlin and like, I just love autumn, yeah. yeah. love the harvest um, <laughs> and like, I've got loads of apples in my trees and it's just really oh. lovely and a really great time to share what you have in abundance with other people too. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is I was just wondering, listeners, um, when was the last time that you did Harvest? Is it like a primary school thing that you think back to singing Cauliflower's Fluffy? Or have you been to um a church harvest celebration where you brought in loads of cans of food to give to a local food bank? Or, yeah, what does Harvest look like for you? And if you haven't been to a harvest celebration for a while why not go check out and see what your local church or your local community is doing? Because it's just so much fun. Um, That's my notice. Um, I really love Harvest and I want you to love Harvest too.
2: Can I ask a a Mm follow-up question or related to all things Harvest? Mm -hmm. What is your favourite primary school banger Harvest song? Are you a Cauliflower's Fluffy?
0: I didn't know that one growing up
2: didn't
0: you? No, that that wasn't one of our staples. Uh, We were, you know, we were more all things bright and beautiful Mm. and, um, oh, what's that one? Um, uh, it's the one about the. It's got the jet planes overhead. <gasps> That's autumn my days. favorite Autumn
2: days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all about autumn days. I'm an autumn jet days boy. Jet
1: planes waiting in the air <laughs> to be refueled. All these things <laughs> I, I so, so well, well. It is colorful and for me. Yep. I love it. I don't get to sing yeah. it because in church it's always we plough the fields and scatter. Which oh yeah. Which I hope you please feel with me. I have to sing every Sunday in October because every church is having a separate (laughs) service. Um, I love it, but you you get get a bit tired. Um, All Things Bright and Beautiful I like, but I sing at pretty much every baptism and wedding and occasion. And funeral. funeral, (laughs) And we never get to sing Tune 2, which is my favourite version of it. Um, If you don't know what Tune 2 of All Things Bright and Beautiful is, check it out because it's more ornate and I think a little bit more beautiful.
2: Mm. (gasps) Do you know the Harvest Samba? Have you done that? I don't school? know the Harvest Samba. It's just another Harvest Festival oh, where we yeah. bring our fruits and vegetables. Yes. Yeah, they did <laughs> that. That was at fun. The primary
1: school Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: One of my favorite things from a placement about Harvest was um, being taught that whenever we announce that the the hymn, as you just did, uh, we plow the fields and scatter. We should include the second line. Otherwise, it sounds like we have plowed the fields and then run away. <laughs> <laughs> <Scatter>! <laughs> no we scatter yeah, the good seed
1: understand. on the land <laughs> <laughs> Love it. bringing things back together that was our notices thank you for listening to our notices if you have a notice that you would like us to share please let us know this week ross you're you brought something for us to think about and talk about today mm. so what are we talking about today
0: okay so um You've had a whole series of being able to talk about the Vicar of Dibley and what, it, what she means to you, what Geraldine means to you, and uh, I kind of want to have my say a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, how the Vicar of Dibley has, you know, been a presence in my life. Um, but I'm also someone who's really interested in preaching. Um, I've got a background in theatre and storytelling and performance, and I'm fascinated by how preaching is sort of an opportunity for that, perhaps, within, uh, within church. And what's really interesting is that we don't often hear Geraldine preach, uh, apart from in the second episode, titled Songs of Praise, where we get like the first half of a sermon, which is being recorded for the whole country to watch. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to break down her sermon and see... What we can learn about preaching and her, pre- you know, her preaching style and any things, what uh, we learn about Geraldine herself uh, from the extract of her sermon. Um, now, Ruthie, I, I, I have transcribed the sermon uh, and sent it over to you. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder whether you would be able to share it with us, please.
2: I shall. In fact, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I'll,
0: you. have got the script. The book is back.
2: The book is back. The, book. the beloved book that we went through. And i found the sermon uh, again here. So, are you ready? Are you sitting comfortably?
0: Hey!
2: Well, this is the first time I've been on television. I did once apply to go on Mastermind, but they didn't like my specialist subject. Apparently, there aren't enough questions about the Wombles. And also, I was a bit young, being four and a half years old at the time. When I first decided to become a vicar, my life was a little bit like Mastermind. People asking me questions all the time. How? When? Why? I know there are still people who can't understand why women are allowed to become vicars. People who are worried that soon there will be pantyhose drying in the vestry radiators and that hymns will have to be called hers. But you know, they shouldn't worry because while they're worrying about these little things, they're forgetting to worry about the big things. Issues like, well, how much do you help... Those who need help. How much do you love people and show your love to them?
0: And cut. <laughs> uh, as uh, Geraldine is cut off in her prime um, by Tristram, uh, Peter Capaldi, uh, the producer. Ugh, Tristan. Tristan.
1: Don't, don't get a start. Don't get a start No, no, Tristan. no, no. I, I re-listened to your
0: episode. I was like, oh, okay, let's get clear of that. Um,
1: <laughs> That's a
2: minefield. <laughs>
0: Um, before I get into the stuff that I've uh, written and, and reflected on with regards mm. to her sermon, what are the things that jump out to you, Kate and Ruthie, about Geraldine's sermon?
2: I like how she grounds it and starts it in story and starts with humour. I'm a big advocate for humour and preaching. I feel like a lot of the time that... We feel like the serious business has to always be serious. And if we're doing God stuff, then we've got to be super serious about it. Mm. And, yeah, there are things that we do need to be super serious about, but there are other things where actually we need that joy and we need that humour and that kind of connection to outdoor life um, outside the church building or wherever the service is happening. Uh, I think that's really important. So that's what I love about this, the beginning of the sermon.
1: Mm. Mm. I think for me, um I agree with all of that. I think what I just noticed as I rewatched it in anticipation of this episode, and we've already talked in previous episodes about my feelings about Tristan, so I admit I didn't watch the whole episode again. I just watched the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> I just I was so blown away by it again. There's something really powerful about Geraldine's preaching, at least in this moment, where it doesn't matter how mm. many times you listen to it how much you know exactly what the content is. Um, it's it's funny, it's engaging, and it's powerful. And, you know, the joke is that Geraldine has to keep repeating herself again and again, and the jokes, which were <laughs> funny the first time and got a huge amount of, re- amount of response, didn't the second time she says it, she, she, she starts speaking. But actually, my experience was, you know what? I still laugh when she talks about wambles, and maybe I did also think... <laughs> sort of Alice's thing did they bond over the Wombles (laughs) um, affection there for the familiar but I still Mm. found it funny and engaging and powerful so yeah that was my Mm. response to listening to a sermon again
0: amazing Mm. Um, I've I've written down a couple of other sort of further thoughts which kind of touch on what you've said as well Um, I mean I think one of the things to note is that we don't hear how it ends
2: yeah, um,
0: And it's also, it's like, it's a bespoke themed sermon. It's not what you would hear on a typical Sunday because it's not based on the lectionary. She's preaching specifically four songs of praise and being on television.
1: Ooh. Ooh. What's the lectionary?
0: Yeah. Ooh, the lectionary is a, uh, how would you call it? It's like a calendar of readings mm. so that every day of the year, we are given uh, readings from the Bible to have at every, ser- every possible service. Mm. So it could be morning prayer, uh, Holy Communion, or evening prayer. Mm. Um, and um, a lot of churches, I think, I think um, certainly within sort of Anglican, Roman Catholic, and I think Lutheran, uh, and possibly Methodist churches maybe, um, would use the lectionary as a way of uh, working out what they're going to preach on. Some churches choose to use sermon series so they will come up with their own readings mm. Sunday mm. by Sunday by Sunday. But the lectionary is there as, as a resource.
1: And, and theoretically, um, the lectionary works in a three-year cycle so that we theoretically go through the whole of the Bible on a three-year cycle. Um, but we if don't. If you say the office, all, all four offices during the day, does, does Compline count? I don't think Compline counts. Yeah. Morning, midday, and evening prayer, and and communion. If you were to do all of those every day of the year, I believe you would read most of the Bible with a few omitted sections.
2: Sure. Yeah, mainly the bits that are horrific towards women. <laughs> oh, a bit yes. Yay!
1: Yay. Anyway, that was a bit of <laughs> that was a sidestep. Ruth, you started asking something.
2: It interests me that you th- say it's a, a sermon that isn't related to the lectionary. Mm. Why do you say that?
0: Um, because I think, um, well, I mean, if we're going from the episode, the reading is done after the sermon. Um,
2: yeah, it's in the the, wrong order.
0: (laughs) uh, It's in the wrong order. Um, I think also because, um, based on what they were saying in their parish meeting right at the beginning, um, where they say, why do they want to come and do songs of praise here? And Geraldine says, well, I think it's because they've got a woman vicar, Mm -hmm. um, and the way that she then begins to preach touches on that as a theme. So uh, okay. so, so yeah. my assumption has been that the sermon that she is preaching is I'm preaching because this is a themed sermon, uh, because I'm one of the first women vicars.
1: Mm, okay.
0: So that is an assumption Got I've you. made, to be fair.
1: It sort of ties in with, if I think back to my licensing service, I was asked to pick a reading. Um, oh, were you? And... I didn't do the talk, the bishop did the talk, but if I did the talk, it would be a sort of a self introduction, and definitely in my first services, that's the sort of thing that you do. Um, and I think, well, I think maybe this is a bit for a bit later, but there's definitely a conversation about the balance of sermons where you are directly preaching from the Bible text and sermons where perhaps you're being more thematic. But not necessarily avoiding references to the Bible text, and it could be that in the rest of Geraldine's sermon, she refers to the readings, which for some reason are coming after her talk, or maybe <laughs> she was doing something really crazy with liturgy, where she was doing an introduction and then she was having the reading and then she was oh, continuing her sermon with the exegesis. Exegesis is um, textual analysis, but Bible talk. There we go.
2: I used to go to a church where we did that. We kind of did a pre-reading sermon, so a little kind of teaser to it. And then later on did a sermon. So you get people thinking it worked quite well, actually. It's good fun. There you go. What other points do you have, Ross?
0: Well, I then start to think a little bit about um, the fact that we never hear anything about God or Jesus Mm. in her sermon. Now, of course, we don't hear the full sermon, <laughs> but actually, I think it is really interesting that her sermon is still grounded in gospel mm. issues and there are allusions mm. to Jesus. The way that she says, don't worry about the little things. Um, I meant to go and get the Bible references, but I, can't, I didn't. And so, so Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems mm. for itself. Um, the way that the commandment to love people um, and, mm. and also to show your love to them. Uh, The commandments uh, throughout scripture is love your neighbor, love your enemy. Mm. Um, But also there is show your love to them. And how do you do that by Mm. uh, feeding the hungry, uh, proclaiming good news to those who are cast down. Um, So scripture is in there, threaded throughout the Mm. sermon, revealing how scripture has shaped and I think informed Geraldine's theology.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, and you know, actually, yeah. that's another really interesting point, and one which I remember from from college. And I end up wrest I ended up wrestling with this for years. Well, I think some tutor said to us, every sermon you preach should include the gospel message, and by that, that mm. tutor meant um, Jesus died for your sins um, on the cross, and you should, y- yes. Anyway, that's what he said, and I remember I remember wrestling with that because. I think it's really important to include the gospel message when you're preaching, but is the gospel just the narrative? Um, Or is it all those parts of scripture which are good news, as you said, which you're weaving through and don't necessarily have to be said explicitly? It's something I still wrestle with, I think.
0: Yeah, I think I would struggle with the idea that the gospel message is and only is jesus dying on the cross mm. for our sins i think that's uh this is possibly too big a conversation for now but uh, <laughs> this is, this is, is a hard of theology uh, um something similar that i was taught um by a priest i was doing uh in my curacy church said about preaching was when you finished a draft of a sermon scan it for love mm. have Ooh, you mentioned love I like, that. I like that and i think to me it's kind of saying the same sort of thing, mm. asking that question about, are you preaching the gospel? Mm. I think to me, that gospel, that good news is rooted in, in love. Yeah.
2: Um, I, like that. I like that. Nick, in that one,
1: thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so what's your next point?
0: We see in her sermon that Geraldine enjoys pop culture, referencing Mastermind and the Wombles, as you mentioned, Ruthie, and she's not afraid to use comedy in a mm. way that sets people at ease with her. And I think one of the things about comedy in sermons as you mentioned Ruthie is that you know we're big advocates for it but it's not about getting people to like her it's not about her but it is recognizing that laughter can be a way to break down a barrier between I'm going to use theatre language now a performer and their audience it's uh, building up that kind of a rapport
2: I might challenge that Ooh, Ooh. cuz I think then. Geraldine, still in her early days, has still got a bit of an ego and actually is trying to win people on her side. And actually by being on the stage of Songs of Praise is trying to win people on her side for um, folks being okay with women who are ordained. So I think, yes, she's not not completely doing it for just to get a joke and, and just for people to like it. But I think there is a little element of that. I sure. have a counter yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: challenge for you. Ooh, yes. that's oh, exciting. it's yeah. all over that, again. But that's oh, what Darcy. you do when you're doing your kind of opening statement sermon. You're winning people over because it's a question of you're trying to show them that you are someone who should be trusted to be listened to. And um, there's various rhetor- rhetorical devices that one can use. <laughs> um, uh. my, um, my master's dissertation was on um, linguistic stylistics of the um, contemporary sermon. So I could probably talk quite a lot about this. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, But there's definitely something um, in contemporary preaching which is about breaking the barrier of um, authority. And what I mean is not um, that we're not trying to show that we have authority when we're preaching, and that's an important part of preaching, is that people trust you to to know what you're talking about and that's what authority is but there's a very Mm. traditional victorian understanding of authority which is i the priest i'm telling you that this is what god is saying and you must Mm. listen to me whereas more there's been a shift in more contemporary preaching to be more of this as a conversation and a discussion and look i'm like you i'm also wrestling this with this and one of the things we can do to do that is to use humor to break the tension
0: i think one of the things that comes out from her use of humor is i mean she's got a very complicated congregation you, she's got the people in the building <laughs> she's got the people at home who are going to be watching songs of praise mm. and then also if you like on a meta-textual level yeah. you've got us who are outside the fictional world of dibley we're actually you know we mm. are viewers 20 years on or whatever it is uh gosh it's more like 30 years really isn't it yeah um yeah, yeah. um yeah it definitely is. Um, so she's got a complicated congregation going on. And I think people make people make their first impressions of a sermon or a preacher really quickly. Like it's within the first yeah. 10 seconds or whatever. And Geraldine skillfully disarms them, brings them on side. Mm. And she does so by using comedy. But I think it's also by being vulnerable. Mm, it's yes. that personal anecdote from her childhood that is to some extent self-deprecating. Mm. who would choose the Wombles for their special subject on national TV. But it's also charming because she's invited everybody to imagine four-year-old Geraldine wanting to be on Mastermind. And there is a place for vulnerability in preaching, which gives then permission for the congregation to be vulnerable too. But I think what's also really important is that she doesn't stay in that vulnerable place. Mm. She then goes on to be someone who does speak with authority, but she yeah. does so in such a really wonderful way. I'm going to ask you something in a moment, um, friends, because I don't want to mansplain. <laughs> She's... We so... won't
2: like you. <laughs>
0: no, good, good. So Geraldine speaks with authority, but also in a way that is kind and gentle towards those who would critique her. She says um, there are still those who don't understand why women aren't allowed to become vicars, um, and this is perhaps a reflect. Maybe it's reflective of what could be a more feminine sermon. Like, I'm kind of comparing the way that she does that to, for example, there's been a, there's been a video recently of an American pastor who has taken a Bible on a, on a baseball bat and started beating up a Barbie dream house. Oh, yeah, I As saw po- that. Yeah, yeah. What her? <laughs> um, and, and so th- I'm just wondering, is that a fair thing to say about the way that she uses her authority in a sermon? Because she says that they're wrong focusing on the little things when they should be focusing on the big things. So she preaches with authority, but not in an aggressive way.
1: Mm. It's a gentle mm-hmm. authority. Um, you know, it's really hard to know without comparing it to other sermons of the time, because um, I think it's a more common um, approach now. I don't. I wouldn't say. You know, given the people I've heard preaching roundabout, you know,
2: mm.
1: I I wouldn't say, I mean, maybe it's a tradition thing as well. Like, I wouldn't say it's particularly gendered now, but sure. there is something about it being a very gentle challenge, which one could argue, um, at least in the, you know, when you talk, look at books that describe different gendered leadership traits, one could argue mm. that it is a more feminine approach which i find that problematic i don't i'm not sure why but there's something there that makes me want to scream um there's something to be observed about a healthy priesthood and i think a priesthood in god's image takes both the doing air quotes here the masculine and the feminine and brings them together into a whole
0: i think one of the things to bear in mind is that feminine does not equate to female Mm. and there are ways in which i will preach which will be sometimes more feminine um, and there may be ways that um, uh, women preachers mm. preach in a way that is more masculine in nature. I feel like I, that was a bad sentence.
1: No, it's no, it's let's hard, it, isn't but There's it? something about just how uh, how it might be analysed and observed that those stereotypical masculine approaches to leadership and authority, and that's kind of as have been described by people rather than as our naturally inherent traits um would take a more forceful commanding approach to authority and the counter to part part of that is more gentle um yeah maybe what do you think all of thinking? this is
2: hard because we're just kind of dealing in binaries yeah. aren't we, we are. and going this is a yeah. male way to preach this is a female yeah. way to preach and uh, i don't think any of us would would mm. ascribe to that anymore um I think, no. mm. but, but we're having to talk like that in order to, to go through it. So mm. it's kind of helpful, yeah, yeah. but not helpful at the same time.
0: I um, think one of the ultimate things to, to take away is that Geraldine preaches as Geraldine. Yeah, yeah It's absolutely. Geraldine's sermon.
1: And in it challenges an established understanding of authority, which would, as I previously kind of explained from that more Victorian inheritance of preaching, which is very much, I am powerful, I am learned, you must listen to me.
0: And yeah. we see that in the contrast, I think really in, in the series between uh, Geraldine and David. Mm. And on one level, she is preaching mm. specifically to David mm. because he is someone who, you know, in the first episode, he's, he's like the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, not mm. Margaret, Debbie, uh, Sharon Lucy and, Tracy. and Sharon. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, so on one level, she mm. is preaching directly to him. And... um over the course of the series, we, you know, the, the final episode, which I watched last night, mm-hmm. because it always makes me cry and I love it, um, it which is um, uh, the pet service. Mm. And Aww. he doesn't go. I mean, it always makes me cry when she comes out mm-hmm. and she's so full of despair. And then all the animals are there and there are four people majestic on horseback. And it makes me so happy. But <laughs> um, But David goes after the service and he bumps into another sort of old man in Tweed who says, marvellous, isn't it? And yeah. David is kind of one round and says, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Yeah. And, you know, and he's one round. So that's kind of the whole season one mm. arc. Mm. So Geraldine is preaching to that person who, who thinks he's got authority. Yeah. Um, and she challenges that.
1: And especially given the context of earlier in the episode, he's replaced the Bible, which was a paperback kind of equivalent of word on the street, um, with a hardback King James or something like that. So, yeah. so there's something yeah. about her. very something he would be horrified, I think, at someone who used humour in, in preaching. Uh, you know, we, we've all met some of those people, or encountered some of those articles that have been written about people up in arms about how there's no place for humour in the pulpit. And I imagine that that's part of challenging David's assumptions about what what authority in the church looks like ruthie what do you think i
2: i want to kind of go back a moment for what you said there ross about she's preaching to david and is that well not only not only to David, but uh in our own experience are there times that we write a sermon and think a certain person in this congregation needs to hear this for for good or for ill whether it's a actually there's a certain person here who needs to know how loved they are by god or um that it's okay and god will forgive and 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 that kind of thing or uh, kind of on a another note with well going with Geraldine's sermon there are little things you're fussing over and actually you need to think about big picture do we do that with our preachers
0: I definitely have. And it, usually the people that I want to hear the sermon don't out come there. to church that Sunday. <laughs>
1: I'm definitely very aware sometimes when I'm writing a sermon who might be in the congregation. Um, yeah. But more often what I'm more likely to do is when I see someone in the congregation who I realize who, who I wasn't expecting to be there and I realise I just need to throw what i prepared out, out. I've done it once or twice and that's often At the most recent time was I, prefer- I prepared it was actually quite like a really serious sermon that was going to be challenging for us about um I don't know, even know needing forgiveness or or it, it was on d- a difficult text and when someone walked in who had been recently bereaved and I knew mm. I just needed to preach comfort and mm. and and kind of the goodness of God's kingdom um mm. and um because this is someone who hadn't been into church for a very long time. Um,
0: That's one of the things we were taught at college, which was when we're writing a sermon or preparing to preach, we don't only do a study of the Bible, but we also do a study of the context, Mm. who could be there. um, And and that changes the nature of the sermon. And sometimes, as you experienced then, Kate, Mm. Is that actually that can ha- that can change in a moment? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. One of the things we were taught as well is is to some extent have a sermon in your back pocket <laughs> in light of the yeah. death of a monarch mm. or a national disaster, yeah. so that mm. um, you're not going to be caught unawares mm. by something on the Saturday morning on the Sunday morning.
1: Yeah. So- we've been drifting this way, so shall we move into this now and we're talking more about our own preaching and our, the influences that we have in our preaching. So, um, we've been looking at Geraldine, so I guess she's a starting point. Is Geraldine an influence <laughs> in either of your preaching? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I think so. Mm. Yeah. I know what Jenny's like I think, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I
0: love the way that Geraldine always uh, seeks the wider perspective. Mm, mm. Um, she raises the yeah. bar mm. and the level of discussion to, hey, actually, this is about love. Actually, there are big things going on in the world. Um, and when I, was, when I heard that sermon again, it made me think of um, the Black Lives Matter episode mm. that yeah. they did and it just it, to me there was a connection between what she was preaching in the early 90s and what she was doing and saying mm. um just a couple of years ago mm. yeah ruthie
2: yeah i think so that she's influenced me as well but i think it's i think it's all the, all the preachers who kind of influenced me have like a Geraldine style to them if if we're calling mm. that of you know using uh, the world around you and kind of uh media and, and stories and uh stories about childhood stories about me vulnerability all of that kind of stuff in sermons so i think Geraldine does that but other preachers who i've heard for long time mainly thinking of my dad (laughs) in lots of this Mm. uh, and other people as well that's where they use their sermons because well as you know ross as a storyteller stories are so powerful and stories stick with us don't they yeah
0: that's
2: why jesus uses them so much we've got the parables in the Mm. bible where jesus often takes stories that might be well known or um stories that are easily to access and and he uses them to hit home about really hard points. And so, of course, we use stories in our, in our preaching. And, yeah, that's an important thing to do. Yeah.
0: What's your preaching style, Kate? Yeah. Is it similar to Geraldine's or quite different?
1: I think I have elements that are similar to Geraldine's. In terms of I some of the key values I have in my preaching, definitely authenticity is one of them
2: really being
1: myself and being unashamed of being myself so whether that's drawing on pop culture references or being really honest about disability or the things that I'm struggling with or if I just have been really struggling with the biblical text I'm honest about it and I'll, I'll take my congregation on that journey with me um I think maybe sort of beyond that I do like to I like to use humor strategically to break tension, um, mm. it, it, if I feel that that's needed. Um, I think for me, preaching is about shared discovery and learning. And so I really try to encourage that and remember that when I'm preparing and when I'm preaching. But it's also about the good news. And one of the things that was really influential for me was at my one of my curiosity churches at St Mark's from Hill in Sheffield. I used to finish the readings with how is this God's word of life today? And so, Ross, just as you were saying, you encourage to edit your sermons with love in mind um, mm-hmm. and asking where the love is. For me, one of my opening questions when I'm preparing to preach is how is this God's word of life today? Where is the gospel life in, in this Bible reading, in the theme that the Bible reading is calling us to think about? Um, but then my actual style changes and I think has significantly changed from when I moved from Curacy to where I am now because the context is so different. When I was at um, St Mark's and then before that um, the other churches that had been at, um when I was at, at Bessica and Doncaster as well, I used to fully script my sermons and I was mm-hmm. really conscious about the um, how tight and well thought out and like to the point even at St Mark's where I was footnoting my sermons because St Mark's was a really academic setting. Um, cool Blimey. But <laughs> moving to Parish here, people didn't want that at all. And I've been learning to just bullet point and that went against my nature for a really long time and felt like I was being really lazy. But it's all enabled greater freedom um to respond mm. to my congregation who I know well because they are small um and kind of see what's working see when i just need to move on or if i suddenly have children in the congregation in the church who i wasn't expecting to be there on a sunday which has happened a few times being able to suddenly adapt what i've prepared and not be tied to a script um yeah but i've been really influenced by my dad as well um growing up he's a very dynamic preacher Um, incredible love my dad obviously um, <laughs> I did my masters looking at sermons, and that was really influential. Um, I particularly I did this like whole overview of the history of the sermon, of British sermon, sort of starting at stuff we had from Bede, and then like going all the way. And I think for contemporary stuff, I looked a lot at Cradock, um, Fred B. Craddock, and and how he was um, describing oh, yeah. contemporary preaching. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of where I am with preaching and. My best sermons always seem to be the ones that I don't think are going to go well because I don't feel like I've put enough effort into them and I'm just Hmm. preaching the truth.
0: That is the most annoying thing ever. (laughs) Where you spend, you can spend a whole (sighs) week crafting a sermon and you get like nothing back, and then the sermon that you put out your back pocket. Yeah, on the morning people Back were like, of a "Wow, that packet. was amazing! Yeah. Thank you so much." I was like, "Oh,
1: <laughs> maybe I should just not
0: bother preparing anything yeah. anymore."
1: Yeah, yeah. over ones no. where you've no. literally gone, I've had too much to do this week, so I've had too many funerals or whatever, and so our and reading to lead to this, so our sermon slot today is here's a printout of the text. I want you to do small group activity of looking at uh, and underlining sections. I did that recently. They really liked because they don't Aww. do it that much. And and encouraging yeah. our or curate, just have in the back of your po- in your back pocket one of those really low effort Yeah, methods. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, and it is preaching, but it's also not. Maybe it's 'cause we're human
2: well, it's, well, it's... Aren't we? You know, yeah. we have days and weeks where we're just I'm just so tired and I've got no imagination. Mm. And so, you know what, this sermon's probably going to be a bit crap, but we hope God uses it in some ways. And then other weeks we might read the text and just go, oh, this is really sparking stuff for me. And, uh, you know, I've got a really good image that I can think of that goes with it, a really powerful visual. And, you know, I could relate it to this and it just I feel like it will really talk to uh, our congregation as it is right now. But, you know, and then. Yeah, there are the other weeks where I go, I've got nothing from this. I'm really sorry. But, you know, this is me being faithful. I'll do what I can and pray that God uses it. And next week's another week. And let's hope there's no visitors here.
1: Well, there's something in terms of knowing the occasion as well that you're preaching to. I will still properly script and think out for those really key moments where actually there are times in the church life where, you want to do something, like Geraldine has done, yeah. which is really, really thought out and prepared um, and is a labour of love. Um, I think but preaching generally has to be dynamic, especially if you are the person who's there every Sunday presenting, um, because it becomes a conversation when you're saying, do you remember last week I said X? Um, and you're building on that week by week, just like a little grain of salt every week.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, what about you, Ross? How would you describe your preaching style at the moment?
0: Oh, I, I think I've got a background in theatre, performance, storytelling, and I, I, I'm really interested in doing in in kind of playing with form. So, um, so I can do. What can, does that mean? Well, I'm gonna let me explain now. So okay. When so when I was in Curacy, um, sometimes I was preaching. Most Sundays I was preaching at a village church, so I'd have your sort of bog standard sermon um that would that would reflect on the reading and um and it would be fairly traditional probably not dissimilar to the kind of thing you hear Geraldine saying Mm. Uh, but we also had a big civic church and as the curate when I was invited to preach say every six weeks or so I was able to do something a bit creative a bit off the wall and um uh, so I had the youth group play sort of hide and seek in the church and then I would call them out mm. and they would say, here I am. And it was all about uh, Samuel's call, being called by God <laughs> and right. saying, here, here is the church as they gather at the front. Um, I've hidden, the, um, I've told a story where there have been the ingredients for bread and I've made dough at the mm. front of church um, and um, and it's been all about bread and why that's important for life um, in church. I've found that it's been more difficult to do that since becoming a vicar. Um, Mm. I think because it is kind of a relentless occupation where you're having to spin all of the plates and think through everything. So my preaching style more recently has felt um, uh, a little more standard. um, And I I think I struggle to find a lot of joy in that sometimes. Um, I because I like being playful with, mm-hmm. with and, that's, and that's the theatrical person in me. But I also see that happening in scripture. I see Jeremiah and Jesus being playful with storytelling, and they are funny in the way that they preach to the crowds, but they, in all sorts of ways. Um, and when we talk about preaching influences earlier, Kate, you mentioned the word on the street, uh, which was mm-hmm. originally called the street Bible. And, Fun fact, name drop. Um, Rob Lacey, who who wrote that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was uh, my mum's cousin. Um, mm-hmm. And I never met him. There it is, the street Bible. I've got um, it
2: on my bookshelf. <laughs> and I
0: yeah. never met him, but knowing that there was a creative Christian writer and performer mm-hmm. in my family was a huge influence on me um, and gave me permission to be creative and playful and... With with the Christian message and how that gets delivered. And Mm. hey, that's why I'm trying, that's also kind of why I'm doing Lucanori, because because it's playing with scripture and telling it in a way that can be engaging um, Mm. um, and hopefully edifying to God.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and finding those opportunities to be creative at those key points. Um, I think you said, like, the pressure of being the vicar, where you just can't be as creative every Sunday as you'd like to be. Yeah. But finding those moments to do that is so rewarding. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Ruthie? How would you describe your preaching style? Um, I think I'm fairly
2: casual. and I think but then I think it definitely flexes depending on the context and and that so actually if I'm doing something with a a bunch of three-year-olds actually the way that I would talk would be different to if I was doing it to an all-age congregation to if I was doing it with the Mother's Union to if I was doing a Remembrance Day service actually Mm -hmm. there's something about needing to be authentically you and not put on an act and do a vicar voice and all that kind mm. of thing. But actually the way that you speak in different contexts would be very, very different. Um, so there's chances where you can be more informal, but actually there are other points where like remembrance day where I would be much more formal and kind of, um, yeah, I feel that that's a more appropriate way to be for, for that particular mm. setting. Um, I think I quite like to dialogue a lot with people and I think I really get a feel for your congregation and where where things are kind of hitting and where they're missing and, and wanting to engage them in it. So whether that's asking questions or just kind of listening out or noticing what's going on with people. And I liked that you said playful there, Ross. I mm. think I quite like that as well. Um And I think visuals are a really strong thing for me as well, that I think that's really important. I think because I'm a visual person Mm. that actually I will picture sermons in in different ways Mm. so I can see someone preaching it, which might be, again, the influence of my dad. Um, Like I can remember... Um, he did a sermon and it involved American football and so was being – I love American football uh, – so was tackled on stage as part of the, <laughs> On stage, on the dais as part of it. Um, but there's also – there's the acting history with me as well, Ross. And so mm. you do kind of – there are times where you perform it and actually I don't think that's like – you're kind of putting on a character and a role and that's kind of what priesthood is at times as well. But actually there is something about the way you deliver something and something that's very, you know, you can have the most exciting sermon in front of you that you've written Yeah. if you deliver it in a monotone voice like this. It's not going to engage with people. And I think mm. that,
0: yeah. And that's true for how people read the Bible in, yeah. in a, you know, actually you can, have, you know, there's the Bible, they are living words, they're, they're so full yeah. of life, they are stories and, and yet, you know, I mean, I think the worst one for me is uh, when you go to Midnight Mass and it gets to the Gospel, which is the opening of St. John's Gospel. and <laughs> In the
2: beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, they were with God in the beginning.
0: And that's so sad because <laughs> that's such wonderful words. In the beginning was the word. And the word mm. was God. And the word was with mm. God. It was there in the beginning with and it's such an amazing and people kill yeah. it. Um yeah. and it, it's it's there's often that 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 question, Are we performing in church? And mm. sometimes it's not that we're putting on a performance, but we are telling stories. Yeah. And there are ways to engage these stories in a way that mm. I guess wake people up to the world in a fresh new way.
1: Yeah, yeah. To proclaim I mean, the gospel anew. Just to advocate for the other approach, though. This isn't. I mean, I agree with you completely, but I do want to say, you know, for those people who do use that more monotone voice, and there's a particular word for it, and people they do liturgy like this about so them, the words of the other words in the service, you know, the leading responses, etc., which is it's deliberately intoned rather yes. than. Um, spoken with emotion, because the idea being that God is putting the emotion in our words rather than us injecting our own interpretation. Um, I I, I just want to add that into the conversation. because that's um, utterly fair. Yeah. um,
0: There have been times when I've gone to churches and you've got the opposite, mm -hmm. where someone has taken the reading and they kind of ham it up Mm -hmm. because they're trying to make it more than it is. Um perhaps, um or they just don't have that skill. I think it is a skill that not everybody has, but but you can be trained in it um mm. to to read scripture and to preach in a way that mm. um, that is engaging but not off putting, I suppose is probably the yeah. Yeah.
1: which I think is a really good point point for us to then to draw back to Geraldine um, and you know, we started this discussion part of the episode talking about Geraldine's sermon in the Songs of Praise televised sermon that Mm. she was doing. And it Mm. is engaging, it is humorous, it is authentically her, and it's honest, and it is a bit of a performance, but Mm. I think effectively so, because she is presenting herself to the country, she is, you know, answering um expected criticism she is in dialogue with people in her congregation and on the other mm. end of the camera you know you know where she is saying this is what some people would say about female vicars this is what i say and she's bringing the gospel into it in that really sensitive way and i think that's something which we've all picked up on in our own reflections whether we Really explicitly take Geraldine as our preaching <laughs> influence or not. I imagine that when they were writing this, when the writers were in the writing room doing this, that they were probably thinking about what sort of preachers they found engaging or what public speakers they found engaging. And that's what they were drawing on as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely. Think
0: as well, the way that Geraldine preaches has had such an influence because we see a woman, vicar in the church of england mm. preaching and i listened to season 1 of of the podcast how she influenced you all and mm. for you just just seeing someone like you preaching from a pulpit even if it's in a sitcom mm. yeah is good news
2: and, and going like a step behind that that's good writing too mm. that has been influenced mm. by yeah. preaching so you've got people like joy who um Dawn was talking about when we when we chatted to her about how she influenced and you know they would have seen things and you know R- Richard Curtis and his kind of story with the church and how he um interpreted things and wrote things actually there's there's influence behind the influence yeah <laughs> yeah
1: So if we were to kind of bring a summary to this discussion, what has the Vicar of Diddley taught us about preaching? And I think what we're saying is it's about being authentically you, um, Mm -hmm. about being real and unashamed, about to stand up and preach. So our questioning for you, dear listener, is we'd like to encourage you to think back to when you might have heard a sermon or reflection maybe in a religious context whether that's a baptism or a wedding or a funeral or on a Sunday or maybe you've been to a remembrance Sunday service or actually public speaking in general and think about what was it about that particular speaker that you remember or or about that talk that you remember was it their use of humor was it about a vulnerability or a particular turn of phrase Mm. and then as you then maybe you'll go and listen back or watch Gerald, this episode of Vicar of Dibley and listen to Geraldine's sermon. And I wonder if you, like us, you'll start picking apart and working out why it's so effective. And let us know. What what do you think? Do you agree with this? Or are we speaking Yeah, no.
2: yeah equally, if you listen to this sermon just think, this is rubbish, why is she wombling on about the wombles? You know, why? Yeah, why do you think that? Be really... Interested to hear. Yeah.
1: So thank you so much, Ross, for leading our discussion and our reflection Um, and kicking off season two in such a fantastic way. It's been a really good, good discussion. I've really enjoyed getting a bit deeper into this aspect of Vicar of Dudley.
2: I love that we've started season two and already we're like, oh, yeah, we'll do something new. It'll be very interesting. We look at other things. (laughs) First episode, let's talk about
1: Vicar (laughs) of (laughs) Dudley. I wanted to get my though? two cents in. Yeah, Russell <laughs> two cents in. And we want you all to know that we are still the Vickers who watch Dibley.
2: <laughs> yes, we do. So,
1: thank you so much for listening to us.
0: Uh, well, thanks for letting me talk about The Vicar of Dibley. Um, what are we doing next?
1: I'm going to be um, presenting the topic for next episode. And I've already teased this in our reintroductions episode. We're going to be listening to the Beetlejuice musical... And thinking about grief. Ooh. So, dear listeners, if you want to prepare along with us, go listen to the Beetlejuice musical specifically. Um, the first song, Invisible, and then there's a one later on called Dead Mom. Dead Mom.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Oh wow!
0: Trigger warning. <laughs> so join warning. us for a,
2: a riotous, cheerful <laughs> ride next next episode. Whoa! <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Vicar's Watch Dibley. Thank you to Toby for editing our ramblings.
1: Any opinions expressed are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Church of England or any other organisation with which we are affiliated.
0: If you like our podcast, leave us a review, follow us on social media and share it with your friends. And, as always, bless you for listening.
2: The vicar approached a lady following the service and remarks, I couldn't help but notice that your husband left in my sermon midway today. To which she responded and said with a shrug, please don't take it to heart, Reverend. He's been sleepwalking for years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs)